<laughs> All right. Hello and welcome. My name is John. I was trained as a pastor, and this is one of the ways that I'm trying to do something good with it through a podcast because that's how you spend your graduate tuition money. Anyways, thank you for checking this out. Uh, so this is going to be a, a very, very interesting series, and I'm not sure how it's going to go, but I believe it will be a very interesting journey. So how are we going to do this? Well, we're going to read one chapter at a time of a bewildering and tragic and confusing and hopeful book of the Bible from the Old Testament called Lamentations. Now, I need to let you know that this is going to get raw, but I think it's going to be absolutely worth it. So for the next few weeks, I'll be doing one chapter at a time of this, again, bewildering book. But before we do, I want to read a few quotes for you. Uh, last night, I texted a number of people from all around and asked them for their first reactions, for their first thoughts of the word lamentations or of the book. And I'm just going to read a few of them. Let me pull up a few real quick. All right, so up in New York, my buddy Julio said, lamenting, laments, lamentations. He calls it a term of grievance, struggle, and strifes. And he, he thinks it's a topic that the church desperately needs to discuss more and allow people or help people to be in it and have better practices in walking alongside one another. He even made a comment, too. Uh, that he knows too many friends who have left the church or lost faith due to the church not knowing how to lament. Ooh, that's that's a heavy hit right there. It's not wrong. Uh, another friend, Kate, from over in Princeton, she says, what comes to mind is a loud, brokenhearted, why? Why, God, how could you let this happen? I hurt, hurt, hurt. And I want you to stop what you're doing and see me hurting. Oh, she also adds that it's something like, I cannot keep this pain inside me. So it's exploding through loud questions and definitely some loud verbal expressions come to mind with the word lament. She also said that it reminded her of when her friend Eric died of cancer. I'm literally reading a text right now. Uh, she remembers driving down the freeway in California, screaming, crying, praying, and remember yelling at God while pounding the steering wheel. I demand an audience of you, God. It was the first time I ever demanded anything of God, and it felt like the words came out of my gut, not from my brain. She thinks that was a lamentation. Uh, another friend, Sebastian, says, It's being honest and real to whoever is listening, whoever you're talking to, God or human, about the realness of life and the struggles of the human condition we all deal with. Man, there's a lot of good stuff here. My one other friend, uh, Josh, over... Well, now he's out in Minnesota, I guess. Or Montana. He says, honestly, the book of Lamentations is a book I don't know much about and have rarely ever learned anything on. 
and I always confuse Lamentations and Ecclesiastes. I know the Hebrews were excellent at mourning and lamenting. Sackcloth and ashes come to mind. I would define lament as an outward processing of grief, hurt, pain, and or suffering. Yeah, this is all good. And then finally, I'll say a guy, Dave Hallahan over in South Jersey, he says mm, that he thinks of many of the Psalms that say, how long, O Lord, Psalm 88 is his favorite lament Psalm because there's no happy ending, really even hope for dimension, for redemption. It's raw. Yes. Okay. This is going to be a very fascinating uh, journey that we'll be going through. But here's my plan. I did write out notes, and I absolutely have things to say because I ordered a commentary from Amazon. It got here last Tuesday. I've been devouring it with a highlighter. But in this season, right now, most of us are under some form of house arrest because of the pandemic. Well, I also thought that the pandemic has led a lot of us to ask the question, how did this come about? How is this happening? How are we going to move forward? How do I process what's going on? Well, here's the most brilliant thing. The book of Lamentations in the original Hebrew is not called Lamentations. It's Acha, which means how. Literally, the title of the book is how, like how did this happen? How did this upheaval come about? How did everything that we once knew and took for granted get so massively thrown apart? So it felt as though at least the title of the book seemed very appropriate for this time and age. Now, what I would love to do is over the next couple of weeks, do one chapter at a time and read every single awkward, terrible, depressing, honest, raw, beautiful verse in this bewildering book. It's only five chapters, so this will only be five weeks. But there's a few things to know about this book. Is The first time I read through it for this, I was struck with how uncomfortable it made me because it is so emotionally vulnerable. And I hope that as we do these episodes, I'm going to maintain some of that feeling uncomfortable because uh, I think it's, I think these episodes are better if I show you my own journey with these passages as they happen to me. So welcome, buckle in. This is going to be super interesting. I have just a few little factoids, and then we'll read chapter one, and then chat about it, and then we'll be done, all right? So this is an awkward long title, The Book of How, Lamentations Part One, Mourning and Shame. I tried to come up with a catchy title, but I felt like all of them were just false advertisements about what it would really be about, but this one's about mourning and shame in the book of Lamentations. So if you have ever felt a need to lament, especially over loss or grief and or shame, then this chapter and this episode is absolutely something for you. And I say that 
because in my understanding, the Old Testament and the New Testament have very much to do with what it means to be human. Not just to be a faith-oriented person, but I think an appropriate approach to faith actually teaches you very much about what it means to be deeply human. And for that reason, I think a lot of the Bible is deeply concerned with the most honest, real experiences of what it means to be human. And of course, in the midst of all of that is the word lament. So we think, or at least according to tradition, we think that this book was written by Jeremiah, but there's nothing inside of it that says the prophet Jeremiah wrote it. Instead, we actually kind of think that it was five different authors who wrote five different poems about the same event. So in the year 586 BC, BCE, Jerusalem was completely demolished and overthrown and all the people were thrown into exile. So the Jewish people lost their land, which was a big deal. They lost their temple, which was a massive deal. And they had the divine promise that they would always have a king on the throne and that was gone as well. So boom, 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 triple threat, terrible existence. And so you could see it as though it's the city of Jerusalem and it's almost like five different vantage points, all looking inward at the city after it's just been destroyed and each of these five people are having a different reaction to the same event. And in this chapter, it's all about mourning and shame. And uh, there's also really poetic things happening. Chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5 are in 22 verses because it's each line starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic poem, except for the middle chapter, chapter 3, which actually does each letter three times. So like A-A-A, B-B-B, G-G-G, that's how their alphabet goes. So this book is absolutely poetic, but you only notice it when you really see it in Hebrew. And I was just blown away. And I personally really like having five perspectives of the same events because let's be honest, when something traumatic happens, multiple people will experience the same traumatic experience differently. And so maybe there's something good in there too, that no one's trauma is exactly like someone else's trauma. Is that right? None of us have exactly the same experience of the exact same event. So let me read some of my notes and then we're going to read the chapter. All right. So we think it was written by five different authors. It centers around the same exile mentioned in the books of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. Uh, and it really is a snapshot of responses to trauma, the trauma of upheaval of everything that people knew back then. I also wrote down, uh, there's something that you need to know about this book, especially just the scriptures in general. They are both timely and timeless that they were written for a particular time, people, place, reason, problem, but they also tend to touch on these timeless things about what it means to be human. I already mentioned that part. 
So even though we're going to read this ancient book that's more than 2,000 years old, listen for the timeless parts of it that can still teach us now about what it means to be human. Got that? All right. And finally, um, there's a mystery to this book. And, and let's call that mystery God. God is the thing behind the thing behind the thing behind the thing. And the author or authors are constantly wrestling with tragedies and trials of their day, colliding with the thing behind the thing behind the thing, which is God. Just like we do. When massive upheaval or trauma happens, we want to get to the source of everything and question and interrogate it. And so I have a a definition here of lament that goes like this. It's an honest holding accountable of the gap between where life is and where we think life should be. It could be where others think our life should be. It could be where we think, quote, God thinks our lives should be, but there's a gap between what is and what ought to be. And we lament that. I also have written down a lamentation comes from the core, right? It comes from the gut. It comes from the pit and it's raw and it's real and it can scare others or even the person voicing it sometimes but to keep it within feels even worse. It can corrode your soul if you don't release it. I mean, honestly, it's honest. Lamentations are at like the the brutal bottom of life when everything gets shaken out and you get dropped on the floor. So this is a, a going to be a great book. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. And feel free to text or send an email about something that you found really interesting or helpful from this passage, from this chapter, from this series. All right. And uh, we'll read through the chapter right now. We'll comment on it and then we'll wrap it up and be done with some questions that we'll ask at the end of every one of these episodes. All right. So if you're sitting, get comfortable, maybe have something right with Or if you're on a walk, that's perfect because we're encouraged to take daily walks as long as we're social distancing. Or maybe you're riding your bike or on the treadmill, whatever. I'm really glad that you're here. Let's do this. Let me take a sip of my coffee right here. Okay. Lamentations, chapter one. Oh, by the way, I really enjoy doing these Old Testament passages that would probably be overlooked by most churches. So here we go. This is Lamentations, also known as Acha or Ach, which means how. How did this come about? Which personally, I think it would be a better title of, a, of this book in our English translations. Here's verse one. I'm going to read through the whole thing and... Uh, I have some parts of it highlighted, so I'll make some comments on that, and let's go. Verse 1. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. 
How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have taken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn. No one comes for her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young women grieve and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from daughter Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness, they have fled before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all the treasures that were hers in days of old. When her people fell into enemy hands, there was no one to help her. Her enemies looked at her and laughed at her destruction. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. All who honored her despise her, for they have all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. Look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has laid hands on all her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary, those you had forbidden to enter your assembly. All her people groan, for they search for bread. They barter for treasures for food to keep themselves alive. Look, Lord, and consider, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you? All you who pass by, look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering? That was inflicted on me that the Lord has that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger. From on high he set fire, sent it down into my bones. He spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He made me desolate, faint all the day long. We're a little more than halfway. My sins have been bound into a yoke. By his hands they were woven together. They have been hung on my neck, and the Lord has sapped my strength. He has given me into the hands of those I cannot withstand. The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. He has summoned an army against me to crush my young men. In his winepress the Lord has trampled virgin daughter Judah. This is why I weep. And my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has decreed for Jacob that his neighbors become his foes. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. Listen, all you peoples, look on my suffering. My young men and young women have gone into exile. I called my allies, but they betrayed me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they searched for food to keep themselves alive. See, Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within. 
and in my heart I am disturbed, for I have been most rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves, inside there is only death. People have heard my groaning, but there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my distress. They rejoice at what you have done. May you bring the day you have announced so that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of my sins. And then this is the last sentence of the chapter. My groans are many and my heart is faint. Boom. That's Lamentations 1 in one shot. That was uh, 22 verses. And each line, each verse starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's so amazing. Okay. I only highlighted two parts, but let's do it. First off, how deserted lies the city once so full of people. Chances are, well, let's see, would that be a lament? Would, would Yeah, that would obviously be a lament because there's loneliness being depicted there. But mourning and shame, yeah, there's grief in that. Grieving that the city is not what it once was. But then the chapter goes on and into shame because uh, Jerusalem is given its own voice as if it's speaking, saying, I know what I've done. I've kind of brought this on, but I'm all alone here. My leaders and my elders and my priests have all perished while trying to take care of themselves. Okay, so here we go. This is awkward as a book, but what does it say that's timely? Okay, well, timely, it's about the fall of Jerusalem and realizing that they are being completely overrun, the walls are being destroyed. They're being sent into exile. Their priests and their elders are doing nothing. Okay. But what's timeless? What's timeless in this, I think, would be some of the emotions, which are mourning and shame. This chapter has a lot to do with grieving loss and having no one around that can comfort you or understand what you're going through. That definitely sounds like grief. You can definitely sit in grief and somehow feel completely misunderstood because unless someone else has gone through it, they don't understand, right? Okay, so there's mourning there. Um, And then shame because of reflecting on the actions and things that brought it on. So definitely shame still exists in today's world because we often look in hindsight at things that we've done or things that we've not done and been embarrassed and felt shame because it brought on so much that we were thinking we could avoid or escape. Okay, so that's what's timely. That's what seems timeless. What was the next thing? Let's see, what what emotions are in there? I kind of heard anger. Um, sadness. There was a little bit of fury in there fighting back. Okay, but what made me uncomfortable? Well, certainly the the chapter seemed almost relentless. You're like, oh my gosh, how much more lamentation can there be in this, right? It seemed as though it was just going to keep going on. But eventually it did stop because it's a form of a poem. 
Okay. But then symbolism, which is something I think we should maybe also chat about. There's the symbolism that Jerusalem is being mentioned of as a, what was it? A widow was one of them, right? Oh. Yeah, so in the verse, in the very beginning, Jerusalem is being talked about as though it's a widow. And in that culture back then, that meant that you had zero protections and no one to watch over you and no family to partake of or anything. So definitely there's an element of just hopelessness because you're completely helpless, unable to be helped. And probably that's at the core of what it means to lament, right? That some forms of grief are best acknowledged as um, unsolvable. I think a lamentation, if we're going to approach it appropriately, it just has to be what it is, and you can't rush to a resolution. It's almost as though, certainly in the book of Lamentations, what needs to be said is not necessarily an invitation for a fix, but it's just trying to give witness to the grief, to the loss, and to the shame that's happening there. So it seems as though lamentation can have multiple angles, but the most important angle to it is just giving witness to the experience, right? And of course, in the context of this book, they lost their land, they lost their temple, and they lost the royalty. So everything that was stable has been taken away. And of course, when you've lived that long under stable conditions and everything gets thrown into upheaval, you may not know anything else to do other than lament. Especially, as we said in this chapter, you might look upon that upheaval with mourning and with shame. And I I can't help but want to draw just a few parallels to today that there's a lot of us that can mourn what's happening right now with the pandemic. And a lot of us might even feel ashamed because of how it's unfolded, because of what things have done or been not done, right? So in the midst of this chapter, which seems like it doesn't have any good news, what is the good news? All right. It seems as though the good news is that even the most raw emotional, unstopping or not slowing down lament is still seen as faithful. And I think maybe that's something that needs to be said as we go through this series on lamentations, that a lamentation to honestly point out and give voice and witness to the gap of our lives between where our lives are and where we think our lives should be, it is a faithful thing 
not an unfaithful thing to give voice to that gap, to give witness to it. And in fact, oh my goodness, the Greek word for witness is just the word martyr, to become a martyr to the gap that we experience. How interesting, whoa, that we need to give martyr to the gap of our lives between where our lives are and where we think they should be. Okay. I don't know how to wrap this up because you can't really finish a book about this or the chapter one ending on a happy high note. So let's, instead of trying to end on a happy note, let's end on an honest and real note. You feel me? All right. Lamentations are faithful prayers. Lamentations are honest, they're raw, and they're real because they give witness to the gap. They give witness to the trauma that we've been through. And lamentations aren't necessarily a bad thing. They're unfortunate that they have to happen, but in some sense, they're almost like necessary parts of the spiritual journey to learn how to give voice, witness, martyr to our own lamentations. And so what do we think is going to happen within us if we never give voice to the trauma, to the gap, to the upheaval that we've experienced? What does it do to us to hold in all of those lamentations that have been unprayed? Well, it probably builds up like the water behind a dam until all of a sudden it bursts and all of these countless years of disappointments come flooding forth. The good news probably is that the divine can handle all of our laments, all of our furious shaking of the fists towards the heavens as we scream, how? How could this happen? How this disease, how this death, how this cancer, how this divorce, how could this loss of job happen? How? Right? God can handle these laments. And I know some of you might actually want me to rush towards the New Testament right now and clean it up. But you know what? There were no there was no quick cleanup for those that were there when this book, Lamentations, was originally written. So again, let's there's there should be no compulsion to finish on a good and happy note. Because sometimes when we rush to being good and happy noted at the end of something, it can feel a little trite. You know, when somebody forces happiness too quick on someone else when they're in the middle of grief, that doesn't help. In fact, it feels inauthentic because it's not really giving witness. It's not really giving martyr to the event that just happened. So here's the thing. Let's finish with a benediction. May you, the listener, as well as I, may we give witness, give martyr, give honest expression to the laments that have built up within us, the disappointments, the gaps, the traumas, and help us to find the words, and if need be in scripture, 
May we learn how to give witness to the gap of where our lives are and where we think our lives should be. And help us each (laughs) to help one another. This has been the Book of How, Lamentations Part 1, Mourning and Shame. Thank you for checking this out. And uh, may grace and peace be with you.